Hello and welcome to another episode of Study of X, the X-Men podcast where we move through the Krakoa era, uh, mostly chronologically, r- roughly. Uh, and my name is Tim, and with me as always is the inventor of World Milk Day, Chris. It's true, you know, it j- just milk in general is a very great thing, but you know what's even better? When it's given to you by a school, which usually means it's free. Not so in the U.S. because we're pretty bad about that, but everywhere else you can just get milk for free at school. That's that's uh, that's good information there. And also joining us is the inventor of World School Orange Juice Day, Sergio. Uh, oranges is uh, substantially more nutritious and easier to produce. Uh, wow, wow, like wow, to, wow. I would like to call that out and say that's probably not true. Uh, and also, we are going to have to co- uh, cancel the podcast now, just because of this. I don't know if I can work in these conditions. We just have two competing lobbying groups here. This is the content that people crave. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to have to ask you to put your differences aside, and uh, we're going to be covering some X-Men issues today. Specifically, New Mutants number 8, Marauders number 9, and a debut issue here with Cable number 1. You know, I think if Xavier and Magneto can put aside their differences for the greater good of Krakoa, I think we can do this. I disagree, but I'm a skeptical, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have some hope, but hey, you know what? Maybe we'll work through our differences as we discuss these issues. What do you guys think? Yeah, like Sebastian Shaw coming around to helping out mutant kind. Uh, mm, Speak for yourself. I don't know about that one. That, that, that's a bad uh, example to use there. I don't know if he would ever come around on helping anybody. I beg to differ, but let's get into it a little bit here. <laughs> and we will with New Mutants number eight, uh, A Hunting We Will Go. Uh, this was released back in February of 2020 and is written by Ed Bryson. So we're back into the Bryson train. Uh, and we're opening up here. Uh, at Blackstone, as Maxine and Manon uh, tell Shaw something, apparently some sort of a story. Uh, spoilers, it is about what happened in Pilgrim, Nebraska. And Shaw mentions that he now has to go clean up their mess. Yep. Um, I am not shocked these uh, these menaces of children are uh, apparently just hanging out with Shaw. Although he doesn't seem exactly too happy with them. Uh-huh. Yeah, just a convergence of bad people all around. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, those kids need to be stopped. They really do. There needs to be some sort of a... I don't want to say a school system, but something to, you know, watch on the kids that may or may not be evil. Do you know yeah. what these kids need? Orange juice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That is that what's going to cure their evil? Yeah. It's nutritious. It gives you vitamin C. Yeah, they, they seem like they lack more than vitamin C, uh, but that's a start. Yeah. <laughs> the, the start to get empathy starts with vitamin C. Exactly. That, that, that can be your tagline for this. Uh-huh. And you know what? Uh, maybe our next mutant guest would have done better if he, uh, you know what, had some milk with him. Uh, because we're in the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. And this poor blue mutant is running for his life from this giant red dog-like creature and is about to die before being saved by some mysterious strangers that we don't see on screen. Yeah, I, I feel like this design looks kind of similar to the werewolves, but red. 
Yeah, I think it's the face. It's very beak-like. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this thing gets kind of just immediately put down. Mm-hmm. With arrows. Yeah. And uh, take it into safety. Uh, but before we figure that out, we go to uh, Novaroma, a famous city in the Amazon rainforest. Mm-hmm. That, that everybody knows currently, of course, of course. Uh, Sergio, I'm sure you know about Novaroma. Why is a bunch of classicists hanging out in Brazil? <laughs> well, I, I wish I wish I could give you a good answer. Uh, the only one I have is th- this place was made in 1983 in an issue of New Mutants. But in the Marvel timeline, uh, after Julius Caesar died in 44 BC, a bunch of them just decided to come here to Brazil and make New Rome. Yep, so here they are. Uh, Still. What happened to the people <laughs> that actually live in the Amazon rainforest? I, I think they're also still there. They are also there. Uh, also, at one point, Nova Roma took in some Incan refugees from the 1500s uh, after the conquistadors showed up. So it's supposedly a mix of a lot of people here. I have no further questions, and I don't wish to learn any more about Nova Roma. <laughs> Okay, I think that is a fine thing to say. Uh, but I will uh, point out to uh, Tim, because I also learned this, uh, is this is where Celine is first introduced, and we're going to see her in the not-too-distant future. Uh, yes, yes, she is. And uh, we're also introduced to Magma here, who was uh, the one original New Mutant that we didn't really have show up in that first section of this comic. Uh, and she is hanging out with Arma, Armor and Boom Boom, uh, who are not original New Mutants. I I actually don't know what her connection is to them because she kind of just leaves midway through that New Mutants run. Hmm. But uh, it, apparently... It's probably, probably just, hey, let's, you know, let's get them together. People have been asking for Magma, you know, wondering where she is. and Yeah, here she is, I guess. Uh, she's apparently just been on Krakoa this whole time. Uh also, she is, I believe, introduced when they first go to Novaroma and and just yes. becomes part of the New Mutants through that. So she's just from here. Yes, uh, she's from here. Uh, and she brings Boom Boom uh, and Armor here to talk to her father, uh, who is actually a higher-up counselor in Novaroma, uh, because there's been a bit of an issue that has cropped up. There have been some disturbances along the border, uh, as mutants fleeing these mutant dogs uh, have crossed over into Nova Roma territory, and they are not that happy about it. Yeah, I, I, so I feel like we're underselling Nova Roma here a little bit. I, I want to be perfectly clear. This is like Julius Caesar era Rome, just yes. in the rainforest. Like, yes, this, this man, man is shows wearing a toga. Up, yeah, he's wearing a toga. He's got guards with him with like big shields and armor and spears, and he's got, like, a little crown on. Yes, if you've played Assassin's Creed uh, around this period of time, you know exactly what this place looks like. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, we get a we get a little happy reunion, and she, he's got to show her something. Yep, and we are brought to the blue mutant that was saved earlier, who has now been thrown in jail because uh, the Nova Romeans don't know what to do with them. Uh, and we learn from this kid that there were other mutants with him trying to get to the Krakoan gates, but it seems like whoever tries to approach the gate will get attacked by these creatures and eaten. 
know, looking at the previous panels, I think they're justified in jailing this uh, mutant because they've never seen anyone that's not white. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's I was a very. Say, when, when I brought up that they've also taken, like, you know, the Incan civilization and others, uh, you don't see that because everybody here looks very white. It is, uh, yeah. Yeah, the white complexion that's uh, typical of the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. As we all know, of course. It, exactly what you would expect to see here. Uh, but, yeah, so. Talking to this kid, they decide to go find the find his friends. Uh, Papa Magma seems upset about this and thinks that Krakowa has kicked up a hornet's nest. Yes, there's a strong element to Nova Roma of separatism from everything else in the world. Uh, I mean, you get that just from the way that they still dress, having not changed in a few centuries. Uh, but he very much just does not want to be bothered with whatever is happening outside of Nova Roma. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Armor, Magma, and Boom Boom go trekking through the rainforest. Uh, I want to shout out uh, the name of Boom Boom's ship that they flew in here with, the Packrat 2. Yes, great name. I really want to know what happened to the Packrat 1. Uh, but yeah, also big shout out to Boom Boom for this, uh, because they trek through the jungle for about six hours to get to this gate, and I'm assuming the entire time she is complaining, uh, because she's not that happy having to walk through a mosquito-infested jungle. No. So, so Magma gives a bit of an explanation as to why she's doing this, uh, of, you know, if they went through the Krakoan gate, it would be setting off an alarm, essentially. They would be kicking down the doors and alerting whoever's doing this. So walking there, it's a lot stealthier. I understand it. Don't know if I agree fully, but hey, we get Boom Boom complaining, which is really funny. They are wearing bright yellow suits. Yes. Yeah, I, I can't imagine this is comfortable Amazon trekking gear here. No, and Boom Boom calls that out because uh, she did not wear the right boots for this. And I don't want to be her because she's got her midriff showing, like with all those mosquito bites. That's going to suck. That's not going to be fun. Oh, probably not, no. But yeah, Boom Boom wants to leave. Magma convinces her to stay. Pretty much uses says, hey, I brought you out here because you guys have been very, very depressed after uh, Nebraska. Y'all been taking some L's. Let, let me help you out, remind you why we do this. Uh, there's a, uh, I like this line from uh, Boom Boom where she says, moping is my default. I, I understand. Mm-hmm. I vibe with this. I understand. But Armor seems to be on board, you know. She agrees that, yeah, they haven't really been themselves, and they do need this, especially after Pilger and Beak's parents. They need a reminder of the good that they're doing. And that good comes crashing through the jungle as another one of these massive red monster dogs show up and begin to attack them. Yeah. Apparently the good they're doing is killing monster dogs. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we get a little fight scene here. Uh, I don't know if it's anything to write home about. Uh, the, the fun part comes from them not being able to kill them and the solution they figure out is armor ripping one in half. And uh, Boom Boom shoving a bomb down the other one's throat. Uh-huh. Yeah, Armor armor does a trick that reminds me of the, uh, I believe it was the first Godzilla movie, 
by Edwards, where at the end, Godzilla just kind of grabs the thing and rips its jaw open. It's the same thing, but she just keeps going. Like it's a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah, you know, once you get a little rip, it's easier to just continue. Yeah, it's just, it's just you I, know. I suppose so. <laughs> that's that's when it starts just giving away there. Mm-hmm. It's like opening uh, one of those, like, annoying packages. You can't really get them open, but once you get you get really yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just, just, you just rip it off entirely. Yeah. You got to get through that first part. Yeah. Yes, uh, and they were able to get to the prize inside, which was the uh, decomposing remains of that mutant's friends that were still being digested. Uh-huh. You can see a little, like, hand and skull in the explosion uh, from Boom mm-hmm. Boom's uh, uh, monster thing. Yep, and then uh, Armor picks up a hand out of all of the mush. It's not good. No. Yes. It's It's not a good time. You know, just goes to show, hey, mutants are still struggling and doing what they can. Yeah, so apparently they think this is a Brazilian government thing, but yeah, there's some stuff going on. They're going to get some samples and bring them to Beast, and uh, I guess that's the end of this plot line. Yeah, kind of a quick, almost feels like a one and done. I I have a feeling we're going to come back to it. Uh, But for now, the story is going to shift. We're actually going to be in Bohem in Costa Perdita. As Sebastian Shaw is meeting with the head of the cartel uh, that went and killed Beak's parents. There's a lot of of pompadours in this crowd. Yeah, a lot of pompadours, a lot of mustaches, a lot of guns. Uh, But Shaw and uh, this cartel boss have a bit of a back and forth where Shaw goes, Hey, I know what you did uh, to those mutants in Nebraska. Yes, we killed your man. Uh... But I'm here to tell you about the deal with Krakoan Drugs. And I made a deal with your rival cartel, actually. And you are probably going to be penniless, broken, and destitute really soon because of that. Yeah. Um, it This almost feels like they realized this plot line wasn't going over great. Because uh, this is just kind of feels like, let's let's just wrap this up real quick. I feel like this uh, run has so much going on that it's okay to just, you know, unload one of the threads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is actually a pretty decent resolution if that was the case. Like, if they suddenly decided to cut it, I, I think this is actually a pretty good way to just let it go. Yeah, just have Sebastian show up being like, yeah, that's that's not going to fly. Um, This is what we're doing instead. So it's it's not a bad ending to it. It makes sense. Like, this is what would probably happen here. Um, it gives Sebastian a weirdly cool moment. I, I don't, yes. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I, I don't think it's so much of a cool moment. I do think it's good to see him do his job. Yeah, he calls him an insignificant weasel. Yes, I, I, I kind of agree with Sergio. I don't know how much I would say this is a cool moment. I like the way the reveal happened, where Shaw shows up and they just kind of have this conversation, and then in the middle of it drops that, hey, I made a deal with your rival cartel instead of just opening with it. Uh, I like the way that it was written in the conversation back and forth that happened. And again, I don't know if I'd say he was cool here. He definitely got to flex a little bit and show that, yes, he is really good at this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just kind of fell on his lap, too, um, from the first few pages when the kids are talking yeah, about it. Maxine well and Manning came in this... Yeah, 
They said, hey, we're, he, he did say, I'm going to go clean up your mess, and he did that uh, pretty effectively, it seems. Uh-huh. Yes, he did. Uh, so, but, if, if anything, I think Emma made the right call getting Shaw as the Black King. I don't know if I would go that far, uh, but yeah, he, <laughs> at least this part of the job he gets right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe... Yes, this, this part of it. Uh, the rest, eh. Yeah, you know, makes cuts out a cartel and screws them over, drowns Kate. Like, you know, you take the good I, with you the... Know, high yeah, highs and low some, lows. <laughs> some pros and some cons, you know? Yeah. Um. Anyway, they've they've gotten the Brazilian mutants who are uh, have some some mutations going on here. Yes, what? most of them are blue or red, like this a dark green. This looks like they got a ship of Morlocks. It really does. So I don't really know what was going on there, but hey, they they did. They got all of these kids. They're now on the Pack Rat Two, and they're gonna take them back to Krakoa. Is what it seems like, and. Boom Boom actually does come around and say, you know what, Magma? This was a good thing to do. Yep. A happy ending, if you will. Mm-hmm. A nice happy ending as we leave off on this mysterious individual with no eyebrows, which still weirds me out, uh, going to the dead corpse of this dog mutant and saying that she will get revenge for what happened. And we pan back and see that she is surrounded by a whole lot of other monster-looking creatures. Yeah. Yeah, and that is that is the issue there. Kind of a, a quick one to go through, you know. Not too much happens in it, I would say. Uh, fine issue, you know. We, we got to see some more of the New Mutants. We got to see Magma. Nova Roma, I... I can give or take. I really am indifferent about it. I, I think it's kind of strange and definitely a leftover of the 80s from when it was created. Um, I don't think that kind of a place would be created nowadays in comics, but I could be wrong. I I, I feel like they maybe thought they needed to address it if they were going to use magma, but you could you could just not. We, we don't we don't need to talk about Nova Roma. Yeah, it, it's an okay issue. I did take issue with uh, the fact that the racial depictions of the of the issue is kind of rough. Mm-hmm. First it's, off, it's with very... the Nova Romans um, being all white, and then you know this final depiction of what the Brazilian outsider mutants look like, which, yeah, as, it's, it's... as uh, Tim mentioned, is is not particularly interesting zero effort to put into it they're just yeah like morlocks yeah i which is I not didn't... great when you're focusing yeah. on on when the only place with inhabitants you're otherwise depicting is a recreation of classic rome in brazil mm-hmm. it is a very white issue for being set in south america yes Yes, it is. I actually, goodness, I'm trying to think, like, is there anybody of color in this issue? Um, I, I, I don't think so. Like, the, the closest are probably these mutant kids, but again, they, they're so, like, they're so Morlocky. you can't, it doesn't even really, like, come through as, like, any kind of, like, representation here. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not great. You've got the like cartel guys as well, but those yeah, are yeah, you got the guys. yeah that, and that I don't doesn't... think that that adds any points. No, yeah, uh, no, I don't, no, I don't think so as well. 
having having some evil cartel guys is definitely not the vibe. Uh, but yeah, I again, I, like if you're gonna do this issue, I think there was a way to do it more tactfully than this, as as far as like the the racial stuff goes. And but again, I'm I'm probably just speaking for the artist and the writer. It it doesn't come across as being intentional, you know. Uh, this was something that they intentionally left out, but it was it definitely is a very stark thing when you kind of sit back and realize, oh yeah, no, this is uh, this is really bad. This is a very white view of Brazil. Yeah, I don't really care about intentionality. I care about the way that I'm consuming the media, and as a you know mm-hmm. inhabitant of South America and Central America, it does. Uh, cause an impression on me even if they did not take it into account i wish they had that's my criticism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and i would agree with that it it definitely is something that should have been addressed here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no and i think i would agree with that as well but uh do we want to go on to the next issue here let's go yeah i am good to jump into marauders number nine journey to the center of pyro uh, this was released also in March of 2020, and it is still written by Gary Duggan. Uh, and we are going to be opening up here as Pyro returns to Krakoa, a hero surrounded by many semi-naked beachgoers as his butler hands him a drink uh, for his successful arrival back home. Uh-huh. Winston. That sure is happening. Yeah. That sure is happening, as is this full page of Gene... Uh, very seductively laying across the hood of a car. Yep. As she so does. A, yeah. As, as, yes, as she does. But yeah, and then, uh, you know, they make out a little bit as they do. The burgeoning crack on auto industry. Yeah. Um, just uh, really, really happy for them. They, they, they look good together. Uh, and then, um, yeah, they, they blast Freebird and drive off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. You know, back to the place that we know and where the story left off. Uh, and uh, speaking of the story, we're going to jump to somewhere else completely different. Uh, as Bishop meets up with Emma as she sits alone in this theater auditorium. And on stage is a high school play reproduction of what we just saw, essentially. There's a cardboard car. There are mannequins of Pyro and Jean. Uh, there, there's a play being put on. Yeah, and Emma says, uh, meet me at the cove, where Emma seems to be cold, and, uh, I, I think we, I think the idea here is that this was in Emma's head. Yes, I had to read it a couple of times, uh, to really get it, uh, but I believe the first few pages with Pyro is what Emma is making him see, and then this scene with Emma in the auditorium is in Emma's head, and then we get into reality as Bishop is sitting what I'm assuming is his couch uh, before he rushes down to meet Emma at the cove. Yeah. Let's talk about Bishop's room for a second. Uh, my dude's got a lava lamp and a just a case of guns. Yes. Right next to his vinyl collection, by the way. Uh, yeah. Which he's got a lot of music. Good for him. Yeah. If I had to guess what his room looked like, this would be pretty close. Yeah, I, I really like this, like, X on the wall, too. Like, it's it's got, like, that, uh, it's two different pictures split up, but you can, like, really tell what the design is. It's 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 good. Yeah. More rooms. Yeah. I want to see more bedrooms. Not a lot of surprises as far as what's no, on Bishop's I, it's, room goes. It is a shame he does not have a portrait of himself like some other mutants we know, but maybe he'll get one in the future. Yeah. 
So, but we do get this one line from Emma stating that when the Marauder arrived, she heard the thoughts of a stowaway. Which, as a reminder from the last couple issues, because it has been a bit, uh, Yellow Jacket did get shrunk and is now inside Pyro himself. Uh, so Emma now knows he's there and is keeping Pyro and Yellow Jacket distracted with all of this. Yeah, Pyro just kind of zonking out here on the beach. And uh, we kind of get the inside of the head as uh, Yellow Jacket is apparently just kind of buying this, just watching uh, Pyro drive around. Mm-hmm. So is, is Yellow th- Jacket th- kind of like jacked into his brain, looking at what he's seeing through his brain? Yeah, I think that's the impression. Like, he can just kind of view it through his eyes. Oh, I don't, also, know, why, before- well, I don't know why I was picturing, like, a cartoon-like uh, hair standing behind his eyes, like if they were giant windows. For which oh, this yeah. would work. No, that that's absolutely what I thought of also. There's an episode of Spongebob where Plankton does the same thing, and that's what my brain goes to. I'm sure that's not what this is, yeah. uh, but I like to picture it that way. Yeah. yeah it's very uh, funny that despite being physically in Pyro's body, uh, Yellow Jacket cannot detect the fact that she's being fooled. There has to be a lot of instruments inside of that uh, you know, mini-submarine. That you allow her to figure out that it's it's not, you know, it's not what's actually happening. Yeah, I I also love that Yellow Jacket's just watching this, being like, yeah, these dudes are pretty cool, actually. Yeah, because she's not uh, Emma is not manipulating Yellow Jacket. She's just manipulating Pyro. Yeah, Pyro, yes. and so Yellow Jacket is seeing something different due to that. Yeah, I would yeah, think so- I would think there would be more instruments telling Yellow Jacket that that's not what's actually happening. Uh, but okay, yeah, I can buy this. So before we kind of go to the scene, we do see Bishop say he has an idea, and Emma Emma seems to like that. Uh, but then some weird stuff happens, and uh, it seems like the vision's breaking down, mm-hmm. and uh, Yellow Jacket gets tuned into uh, Pyro and Bishop and all of them freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yellow Jacket uh, quickly finds out that he's been made. And as uh, the emergency button means, you hit it, and that means you enlarge. So we get a wonderful page of Pyro just exploding as a submarine grows inside of his body. Straight up turning into pink goo. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Pyro is very dead. Yeah, he's extremely gone at this point, and mostly now covering Emma in a bunch of, you know, splotches. The pool of blood under that submarine. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's ooh yeah no it it goes badly for the guy uh mm-hmm. and it's also about to go badly for Emma too because yellow jacket kind of gets out of the sub for a second activates his lasers and shoots Emma right in the head yeah uh which apparently was not the intention but he's not complaining too much and uh zooms on out of there as bishop fires and misses Yep, and Yellow Jacket is extremely excited about this as he's able to actually get away here. He's too small for Bishop to hit. Emma is out, and nobody's going to be able to catch him. Yeah, yep. he's gone. He succeeded. Wow, the the mutants really dropped the ball here. He, right. he pinks the Verendi as well, yeah. letting them know he's on his way back to Madripoor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we know, you know, he's connected there, but... Darn shame that he got away. It's data page time. Our favorite X desk is back. We're back. 
yeah. Uh, so our ex-desk friend has been uh, successful with finding some information recently. Yes, and it's some big ones. Uh, our evil children friends uh, at Hominus Verendi now pretty much own Madripoor and the government. Uh, they have set up this whole plot that they've seen be cooking of lacing Krakoan medicine with drugs to make the mutants look bad. Uh, it looks like the ex-desk has found out about all of this, but still isn't too sure who to tell or who to let know outside of these memos. Yeah, there's also kind of a mention here of they don't know what's going on with the Madripoor uh, royal family. Yeah, they seem to either be missing or dead, uh, which is not good. Uh, we also get a heads up from Jeff Bannister uh, about the fact that Krakoan medicine can be turned into a narcotic, uh, as we saw in Wolverine. Uh, so that's a fun little continuity thing right there. Shout out uh, to Jeff Bannister. We we miss yeah. you dearly. Yeah. yeah. Please come back to us soon. Uh, uh, and we do get some confirmation that the Morlocks hanging out in Arizona does seem to be a nice retirement home. Yeah, they just seem to be enjoying themselves. Uh, Hellfire Trading has established a, uh, looks like a charity? Yes, some sort of a charity. We aren't too sure about that. Uh, and it looks like as part of some normal surveillance right at the end here, uh, it looks like, uh, Emma Frost is planning a party called the Hellfire Gala, uh, and lists a hellfiregala.com website as something that they just purchased, but doesn't have much more other than that. Did anyone visit this website? I did. I don't know if Sergio did. Did you? Uh, I did not. Okay, good. Uh, because a, a little bit of spoilers. Um, <laughs> the website now currently, as of this recording, links to D23, uh, which is a convention that Disney puts on once a year in Anaheim uh, for big Disney fans. Uh, but it leads to specifically their Hellfire Gala that they did in person at D23 this year and at San Diego Comic-Con. Okay. So it, I, I vaguely have a memory that this website led somewhere else back in 2020, but despite trying to find anything, I couldn't find anything about it. I tried the Wayback Machine, I tried a couple other places, I scoured Reddit a little bit more, and I couldn't find what it used to be. Yeah, because it definitely didn't used to link here. I mean, I, it probably did link to something like Disney or Marvelcomic.com or Marvel.com related, but like I don't, it, it obviously wasn't the 2023 D23 thing. No, no, not at that point. So uh, Tim and I were talking about it uh, because the Hellfire Gala is going to come up. Uh, this is actually going to be a pretty big event. Uh, that is going to happen and becomes a yearly thing for the comics. Uh, but there was a vote associated with the Hellfire Galas. Uh, and we think that might have linked to it, but we're not 100%. Yeah. But yeah, a little, little website there. Yeah, a little website. little Just a little bit of a tease that, hey, there's something coming up. Here's the name for it. Yeah, that's fun. I, I do wish we had that original website still. Yeah. Yeah, I do as well. Uh, if anybody knows where we can find it or has a picture of it, uh, definitely send us an email uh, because I would love to see it again and see where it led to. Uh, I'm still going to try and find it. If I see it, I'll definitely post it on our social media accounts. But as of the research I was able to do before this episode, couldn't turn up anything. Hmm. All right. So, back on the island. 
back on the island. Uh, we see here as the curtain is pulled back uh, that uh, actually Yellow Jacket did not get away and is currently being mind controlled by Emma, her daughters, in a combination of trying to trick him to see one, why he was here, and two, where he would go if he did get away. Yeah, also Magneto's here. Yes, also Magneto is here, uh, looking radiant as usual in his all-white getup. Yeah. Uh, Pyro really wants to kill this guy. Uh, Magneto says no and just uh, pulls him out. Mm -hmm. Just very casually pulls this tiny submarine out of Pyro. Uh, just kind of coughs it out. Doesn't make it seem like it's that difficult, which I guess is good. Good for Pyro. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, after, this is uh, resolved pretty effectively here. He he thinks that he is still going to Madripoor and is just sleeping right now. Apparently doesn't feel any remorse for what he believes is him murdering Pyro and Emma. Yeah, no, no big shock there. Uh, thankfully, though, Emma and the girls do wipe Yellow Jacket's mind, so he's not going to remember any of this. And Magneto just flings him into the sunset, into the ocean, uh, as he just wants to be done with that guy. I believe the correct verb is yeets. Yeets, yes. <laughs> I don't know if Magneto would use such a word, but that is the motion he's doing here. He should. I would pay good money to see Magneto say yeets in any context. Well, there are some things that money just cannot buy. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of them, unfortunately. So we get a little bit of talk here about how they, uh, Magneto wants to rethink how they uh, deploy their telepaths on the islands so they can catch stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Probably, you know, a good thing because, hey, this, he got away. If if it wasn't for Emma, Yellow Jacket could have seen more. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we do have to remember that mutant resurrection is still a secret at this point. So if Pyro had gone to Arbor Magna or anywhere else, that could have been really bad. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, they luckily caught it pretty early here. Um, Bishop wants to talk to Emma about something, but she wants the Red Queen to join her, so Emma's optimistic they're gonna get Kate back here. And, uh, Emma and Pyro decide to go hang out with the Verendi kids, uh, with some telepathy. Yes, and a very good mood lighting setup, as all of these evil kids, uh, and our friend here, uh, whose name I can't recall. I recall her name. Uh, they mentioned in the data page, it is, um, this is Chin Zhao. Yes, thank you. Uh, she was the one whose husband was quote-unquote missing after touching a gate, but was actually held captive in his own house. So she has continued to be a uh, right evil bastard and is joined in with these kids. And as they are celebrating, Emma and Pyro make their introduction to each other. And Emma pretty much just outright threatens them that they should drop the act and stop pretending to be the old Hellfire Club that she put together, and as a show of force, allows Pyro to begin to burn most of the people here alive. Yeah, uh, not for very long, though. Uh, Emma says we're good now and uh, takes them out of the this little telepathy thing. Yeah, so not actually burning alive, but the pain definitely felt real. Uh, yeah. I do like Pyro's reaction to this because he's very uh they're mostly in the shadows at this point so his skull tattoo really does a lot of work for him uh but then he lights everybody on fire and just tells them to burn because they're tiny little hate goblins and I just love that he's just such a goofball 
yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, it's kind of a interesting little uh, comparison here between when we see him uh, burning Moira early on in like Powers of X. Uh, it's essentially the same thing here, except it's just portrayed in a very different way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, much more lighthearted here as these people are screaming to death. Yeah. Unfortunately, back at Arbor Magna, um, the the resurrection's not working. Yeah, we, we get just a little bit here from Xavier, uh, but he says, unfortunately, this husk was not viable either which gives me the impression that they've tried this a couple times and Kate, for some reason, still can't come back. Yeah, I yeah. I think we kind of saw this coming. Yeah, this this felt like it was going to be an issue. Like, they, they've hinted at it pretty greatly here, so I'm, I'm not shocked this is how it turned out. Yeah, I'm not as well, especially with Kate in the gates just not working, and we still don't know why that is. Uh, and her just not being able to phase through Krakoa itself. Uh, so this kind of a problem isn't too surprising. It is very sad to see the fallout of all of it, though. Uh, we are going to get a bit of a monologue here from Emma throughout the rest of these few pages, uh, where she essentially says that Kate was her guiding light. You know, she knows she has this darkness and this evil inside of her to do these horrible things, but Kate really inspired her to become the better person and to do this for good reasons. So to see her struggle, and I'm sure Storm and the others are as well, it just makes it, you know, hurt that much more that this just is not working. Yeah. But I'm sure they'll sort it out. Yeah, they'll figure it out. We get a final shot here of Lockheed uh, flying off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Uh, not before giving his savior uh, half, of, half of an eaten fish and tucking her into bed. Uh, as he flies off into the sunset. I would assume back to Krakoa, uh, but we'll see where he heads up. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he's what's needed to get Kate back. Possibly, yeah. Uh, hopefully we will see, you know, whatever's going wrong there soon, because uh, I imagine they don't want to leave Kate out for that much longer. Uh-huh. Yeah, n- n- nice little moment here from Lockheed. I like the dragon. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I like him as well. I like this cute little purple dragon. Uh, But I think it really comes together with uh, Emma's little monologue that she has here. I I have to say one of the characters I've really liked out of all of this beginning Krakoa stuff is definitely Emma. And it's almost all because of Marauders. Yeah, there's some uneven characterization here and there. But I think overall she's one of the most, uh, you know, star characters. Like, she's constantly in what we're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of have never left her, left being on her shadow, like, just looking at what her, she's doing. Um, yeah, she's, she's a good character. Yeah. Our final thing here is a little data page from Beast, uh, with them uh, debriefing Pyro. Uh, mm-hmm. he, also, we get a mention of the Hellfire Gala here. And uh, B says he's going to be busy while discussing this. Just, yeah, just, it, you know, some bureaucracy stuff. Yeah, not not super interested. No, kind of hand wavy uh, in terms of what uh, Yellow Jacket was able to accomplish. Yeah, that that's what it comes across as. But I almost see that as him trying to save face because he is now the new security head and he did fail with this. 
uh, his, his first real major failure when it comes to security, actually. So him trying to hand wave it and be like, oh, well, Yellow Jacket didn't find anything significant and we mind wiped him any, so anyway, so whatever. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, don't 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 got to worry about it, I guess. Do you think Beast would try to save face here? I feel like whenever, you know, he's in panic, he kind of drills down and tries to fix the issue. This feels more like a hand wavy. Yeah, this this threat's not coming back uh anymore. It it does kind of read like arrogance to me. Like they just huh. he just kind of assumes like this isn't going to happen again. Mm, yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Beast isn't the type to like just like sweep something under the rug. He just uh, doubles down on the bad instead. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe, I think you're right about that. Maybe he really does just think that this is not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, that that's why it feels more hand wavy to me because you know nothing really important got compromised. Um, so it does feel like a way of. Again, kind of waving off the thread of them being, uh, uh, you know, just gotten their information extracted from Yellow Jacket. This feels a lot less effective than the previous issue where we got Shaw uh, handling the cartels and kind of closing that thread. Uh, this feels like it's trying to do the same in a single data page, which is a little less uh, you know, interesting for me. Yeah, like, we, we got about a couple pages of Sebastian Shaw doing his job. Uh, I, I don't know if Beast did his. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. And I th the word just came to me to describe what Shaw did in the last one, and it was satisfying. Yeah. It wasn't cool, but it was satisfying how he did it. Whereas with Beast, it's like... Uh -huh. And Yellow Jacket was in Pyro for a while. They must have gotten yeah. something. Yeah, we. it's unclear how long, because time gets kind of weird when it comes to comics. Uh, but we know from a couple of his logs and what he said over the last couple of issues, is Pyro just kind of hung out and watched Rick and Morty and was on the boat most of the time and just kind of did other stuff. Yeah, but he was Pyro there. he was there when they found... Uh, well, he was not there when they found Kate, but he did like, raid that boat uh, with the rest, they could have mentioned Resurrection at some point. Yeah. Like, hey, might be able to bring her back. That did not... That did not uh, come across Yellow Jacket's notice. Yeah, it... I don't know. It... When it comes to Pyro, I feel like he doesn't care enough. You know, if there were conversations about bringing Kate back... I don't think he would have been privy to them because he's just like, oh, whatever, I'm doing what I'm doing. Hey, I don't know. He looked pretty pissed uh, back then. I I'm well, guessing I'm those were those memories that also got wiped, but yeah, it, it just, it, it does seem a little bit careless with the follow-up. I completely agree. Yeah, and Yellow Jacket had communication with uh, the Verandi. I don't think wiping his memory was meant to convey that they got zero information. They got everything that uh, Yellow Jacket got to transmit before he got his mind wiped. Yeah. Or even was it identified. Yes, yes, because Verendi at one point showed the Russian ambassador that, yeah. you know, sold access to the live stream that was going on. Yeah, this is this is what we got now. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. They had a live feed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they, they, uh, I, yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I I have a feeling Yellow Jacket is likely done, but Hominus Verendi is not. 
So I'm sure whatever they ended up getting from this, we're going to figure that out pretty soon. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. Meanwhile, we want to talk about cable. Meanwhile, I believe we can. Yeah. Uh, but before we do jump into Cable, which is our brand new number one here, uh, I did look up a little bit uh, to see how, you know, this comic came to be. Uh, it is written by Gary Duggan, uh, same fella who does Marauders that we love so much. Uh, and I found through a Comics Beat interview uh, that Gary Duggan did that it seems like he and Phil Noto, which is the artist for this issue, uh, kind of got together and were discussing a couple things. And Phil Noto was, as uh, Gary put it, Krakoa Curious, uh, and had an opening in his schedule. And so the two of them talked it out, and they came to the conclusion of, well, why don't we do something Cable-related? You know, nobody's really touched young Cable and figured out what's going on with that character. Why not? Why not? Yeah, why not? I, I feel like yeah. the only thing we've gotten from him has been him showing up and being real edgy, like, right before Krakoa, and that one issue of X-Men, so... Yes, uh, not Fallen Angels. That never happened. The what? Uh, so, so it is unfortunate that we haven't seen him. Yeah. He was good in that issue of X Men. I did enjoy that. Yeah, I yeah. I did as well. He tried uh, to so, gift that alien guy a grenade. Yeah. Yes, and did, it didn't go well. Nope. Did not go well. I would agree. I I would also agree it doesn't go well here either. So I think Cable just needs to knock it off with the grenades a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, but throughout all of the interviews that I did find, which we have the one from Comics Beat, and then I found one through uh, Comic Book Resource, uh, is it seemed like a lot of the characters that are a part of this comic, especially the side characters like Pixie and Armor, uh, were decided by Phil Noto, the artist, uh, because Gary was pretty open to a lot of things and just wanted to be like, hey, what do you feel like drawing right now? What would make you interested in drawing this book? Uh, which is where they got, you know, Pixie thrown in here, uh, why we get Logan a little bit. It was all from that. Well, that's kind of good, because I think the art is kind of uh, one of the, the stronger parts of this uh, issue here. Yes, I would agree with that as well. I I like the art out of this. It, it's kind of very... The, the, the word that comes to mind is bold, but I don't think that's the correct word for it. It's it, just, it, it pops. It reminds me of the art from um, the Hickman New Mutants issues. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I it's, definitely, it's definitely leaning towards that sort yeah. of style. So, but let's open up here with cable number one, Big Guns, uh, released in March of 2020, and again, written by Gary Duggan. Uh, We're opening up here uh, to a place that has been mentioned before, but we've never explored, uh, called The Quarry which is, seems to be a fighting pit for mutants where they can just go at it with each other. And here a young Cable is fighting his uncle Logan. Yeah, it sure is that. Yeah, we want to talk about the first line of this comic. <laughs> which one? The one that Cable says or the one of the box? The, the, the one that Cable says here. Where he just says, uh, fuck you, Wolverine. Yeah, just great, great introduction. Yes, um, very good introduction to, to young Cable as a character. Very cocky, and then immediately gets slapped down. Yeah, I um, I love the little box dialogue here, how it's just, you know, it's it's like your normal little, this is what they call me, and then Cable is written, like, stylized. Mm -hmm, the logo of the comic. Yeah. 
it's good stuff. I love it when they do it. It is very new mutancy. Yeah, yes. I, I would agree. I feel like the tone is it, it feels more similar to New Mutants than even like Marauders. Like it feels like he's kind of channeling like Hickman New Mutants here. Mhm. And uh do you mean that with the writing or the art? The writing. Both, the writing? I would say. Yeah, I would say both, yeah. But you know, this okay. uh kind of like first person narration to the audience that's reading. I think we've only seen that in New Mutants. Yeah, I, I think at this point you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I can only think about uh, Sunspot doing it. Yeah, I guess it kind of happens in X-Force, but I think that's more just like an inner narration and not toward the audience specifically. Huh. But like this is straight up like he's talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Cable, Cable kind of comes off as a little goblin here, but gets uh, a gun sliced in half by Wolverine and calls for a timeout. Yeah, not gonna happen, and Cable uses his telekinetic powers to freeze his Uncle Logan in place, takes the guns, and slams it onto his claws, so those are taken out, and Cable is able to knock Logan down and keep him on the ground long enough to be declared a victor. I I really wanna, I wanna talk about this panel here of Callisto and Gorgon watching from the stands, uh, it's, it's really good. It's fun. They both have a bottle of some kind of alcohol with them. They're having a great time. Yeah. That looks like orange juice to me. Uh, mm, I don't know. It doesn't look very orange to me. Looks like Maybe. it's, it's lightning. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. okay. It's, it's chocolate milk. No. Mm, where does, where, I, you know, I can, I can qualify that in my camp, uh, but there is no school on Krakoa as far as I know, so it can't be school milk. Okay. Maybe they brought it all the way from the sextant. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Uh, so the uh, Cable wins this fight, and the person that announces that he is the winner is Silver Samurai, who I think this is our first time seeing him? Yes, this is our first time seeing the famed Silver Samurai in anything Krakoa. Yeah, uh, what do you know about Silver Samurai? I know absolutely nothing. Uh, I'm also going to be honest, and I also don't know really anything about him other than his name. I think this is like a usual Wolverine villain, and he's just like, he's just a samurai mutant that hangs out in Japan. Sick. Okay. Yeah, yeah sure. And he's just hangs out in the quarry now. I guess he became the MC of whatever this is. Uh, I'm glad he found himself a good gig. I'm also glad he found himself a nice day job. And he gets to keep all of his cool armor on, which is a big highlight. Yeah. Uh, we figure out Kalisto and Gorgon apparently made a bet with Kalisto losing this and saying that she would have bet it, bet on Cable if it was the old, old Cable. Um, yeah, I don't know. the The vibe of this seems uh, significantly better than the Crucible. Yes, <laughs> uh, Silver Samurai does declare that the winner is a product of mutant supremacy. Uh, so you know it. That's still not going away. That's still a problem. Yeah, that's... Uh, but that's... there's no ritualistic murder going on. Yeah, just just friendly sparring. Yeah, we, we'd get some more fun shots of the crowd uh, where it looks like some people had uh, taken off their shirts and written out Logan, which each of them having a letter on their chest. Uh, that's really fun. <laughs> uh, it's just good vibes here. Yeah. Uh, Logan owes Cable a marker. I don't know what that is. Yeah, not clear what it means, uh, but hey, Cable now has one. 
we also get a fun line here uh, that apparently there is no cheating in the quarry, uh, except for what Magic did. And we'll very quickly find out Magic did get disqualified. I really want to know what she did, because it's not said. Uh, yeah, um, so yeah, after we get some little back and forth between Wolverine and Silver Sable, we, or Silver Samurai, we go to the data page of the wins and loss uh, records of uh, the people that have fought in the quarry so far, which it looks like there has been uh, 13 of this being the 13th fight. Uh, yeah. Is there any here that are interesting to you? Uh, I mean, you know, some of them are fun here. You you get to see that Dazzler beat Jubilee. Uh, Kalisto definitely had a win streak going on here. Uh, again, I really want to know what Magic did to disqualify herself, uh, because that seems really interesting. Uh, and I believe this is the first mention of Firestar in anything mutant-related, uh, which I remember being pointed out at the time is kind of a big deal. Uh, she ended up losing to Magma. Uh, but uh, for those who don't know who Firestar is, uh, if you've ever seen anything from Spider-Man and his amazing friends, uh, which was a pretty cheesy cartoon, uh, it was Iceman and Firestar, and that's who Firestar is. Uh, she's traditionally an Avenger, but she is also a mutant. Yeah, was at Emma's school for like four issues in a little mini that was based off of her, and then she left uh, to go be an Avenger, I guess. Uh, there's some fun ones in here. Nightcrawler and Blink had a draw. Uh, those are two teleporters. Uh, I, uh, I have that's to. Fun. Yeah, I have to imagine they just teleported around a lot. Um, Leech beat Artie. Uh, Leech is a small child who uh, can turn off powers. Uh, I forgot what Artie does, but those two are traditionally just, like, little friends that are just kids. They hang out with Franklin Richards a lot. Oh, uh, that's fun. So that's, that's <laughs> adorable. Um, I think Artie can, like, I think Artie might be mute, but is able to, like, astral project what he's thinking. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the two of the cuckoos fought each other. Uh, Kalisto mm -hmm. beat Jumbo. But, yeah. So yeah. This is, Which, poor, poor Jumbo, I don't take him to be a fighter, so yeah, I wonder no. how Kalisto got him roped into that. Yeah, but, yeah, it's, it's unnecessary, but this is the kind of data page I can get behind. Mm-hmm. It's just fun little, you know, flair to everything. Yeah, I'd like Pyro to get a win. He doesn't get right? wins. Right? <laughs> yeah, poor Pyro. I mean, his whole thing is controlling fire, and he lost against the person that's really good with knives. That that had the sting just a little bit. Yeah. So, Cable's off hanging with apparently his two new friends, uh, Pixie and Armor. Uh, I Is this our first time seeing Pixie? Yes. I want to say she very briefly showed up once another place, but this is our first real introduction to her. Yeah, I think she might have shown up at Fallen Angels for like oh. a page. <laughs> yeah, like... yeah the, the, the thing we don't talk about. Yeah. Was it in, like, the Eternal Party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, we we didn't take a note on it, but uh, there's a line in New Mutants where uh, Boom Boom complains about being dragged away from a party and Magma fires back with, there's always a party. And, uh, yeah. Hey, the Eternal Party is still <laughs> yeah, like, going. If we can't see it, just know it's happening. They're, uh -huh. they're still dancing around that fire. <laughs> uh, so Pixie is someone who's been an X-Men before. I... Don't know much about her. She's kind of after my time, but I, I believe her powers is basically she can uh, give people little like bliss 
little little drug trips uh, that yeah. we're gonna see. She does have fairy wings, you know, to go with the pixie vibe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, her power is to kind of sprinkle magic dust on people, and they get to see very very optimistic uh, views of the world. Yeah, I, I, I think I think someone gave me some of that at the club. Uh, pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. It might have probably been Pixie. Uh, Pixie's probably a very, very fun person to have at the forever party. Yeah. And uh, we run into Curse. Yes, uh, this is also our first introduction to Curse. Uh, they are a younger mutant child. Uh, she's got like this really fun, not bubblegum pink skin, uh, but it's like a really fun pink. Uh, and her power isn't actually really discussed here, uh, but how her power works is like her name, she can curse somebody, and whatever she curses them with will happen. Uh, almost like a way to manipulate reality. Uh, so if she says, you know, I hate you, go fall off a cliff, you're probably going to fall off a cliff whether you want to or not. That's terrifying. Yes, yeah. and she is a small child, so, you know. There Actually, are some this fucked is... up childs in this, in this uh, <laughs> island. Um, it really is. So, with uh, Curse, actually, apparently her first appearance is in Marauders 1. Uh, I'm guessing she's like a background mutant they save. But yeah, we, we haven't really uh, haven't really met her yet. Hmm. So that's that's kind huh. of interesting. But yeah, this is she she was not introduced pre-Krakowa. Interesting. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but uh, so they're they're looking for Fauna, that other that kid from House of X that was uh, hanging out with Jean Grey real early on. Yes, uh, it looks like uh, they were playing close to where Krakoa ends and the monsters begin. Uh, and Curse doesn't want to go tell the older mutants because she doesn't want her friend to get in trouble. But she still knows that her friend is in trouble, so goes to Cable instead. Yeah, uh, it doesn't take too long to find Fauna. Uh, Cable mm-hmm. Cable reassures them, but Fauna seems uh, kind of hung up about feeling something's pain. And we figure out what that something is, which is a giant lion-looking thing. Yeah, this massive lion monster creature that is at least as big or bigger than a two-story house. It's this massive thing. I I like this page. I think this is probably the uh, the most... New Mutants vibe of the whole thing. You get a little narration here of Cable saying, uh, you know, it's been, it's been pretty chill so far. We're still working out the kinks. It's all good because I got a plan. And then the, the next line out of his mouth is, run, I'll cover you. Mm-hmm. And then he just starts shooting the giant beast. Yeah. So, and... Uh, While saying, I've... stay back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which like... is a great plan. <laughs> Cable has some good plans, as always. It's easy to come uh, up so, with plans when you've got big guns. Yeah. It's true. Very true. Just That's use, his mutant power. His mutant power guns. is gun. Uh, so, but a bit of a reminder, because I also kind of forgot this until I was further in, and I was like, oh yeah, uh, there was an X-Men issue not that long ago where Krakoa beelined it towards a new island that appeared and like merged together with it. That's where this monster part of the island is, is it's that newly edition place. I actually kind of had forgotten about that. Yeah, that is X-Men number one, isn't it? It might be number two, is it but number yeah. Two? It might be number two, but yeah. yes. Yeah, they're, they're coming from the Summer's House in the Moon. Yeah. Yeah, that might be number two then. 
Yes, it was number two. Uh, so yeah, Fauna Fauna gets uh, pixie dust, which again s- seems like drugs. Yes, but uh, this is where my favorite page of the entire issue comes in because we get to see what Fauna sees, and the giant monster now looks like it's made of felt, like it's a big muppet. Uh-huh. Uh, and Cable does his trademark move of throw a grenade at it, but instead it's a present. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. It explodes in <laughs> confetti. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nice confetti, and the monster's like, oh man, that sucks, I didn't get you anything. Yeah, the it, it goes from a raging beast to something I wish I could like put on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really sweet, and it's just a really fun contrast with the next page. Where we see Cable back in reality just cussing at this thing, throwing grenades at it uh-huh. to no avail. Yeah. So it's a very fun just uh like just kind of a contrast here. Um Pixie tries to use the Pixie Dust on the beast, doesn't work out too well. Uh Fauna, who's apparently over the drug trip, um I Pixie should really work on the uh the amount of time that lasts for. I actually think it's still going because his eyes are still pink. So he's probably less terrified of this monster now, and yeah. does still want to help it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's got his guard down. I think that that means you know that Pixie Dust still doing its job. Yeah. So, in that case, maybe a bad idea because now this kid has just no no worry at all about approaching this beast. Uh huh. Nope. Uh, but Fauna is saved and is flown away by Pixie. Unfortunately, that does leave Cable open. And he is about to get smashed by this monster when Armor comes in and is able to save him underneath the giant paw of this monster. Yeah, where we get some, um, light flirting might be the wrong word. I, yeah, it's a bit more than light flirting. It's also not outright. It's somewhere in the middle. Uh, but also a fair question from Armor, uh, because Cable's history is a bit convoluted. Uh, Sergio, how much do you know about Cable as a character? I think I think you've told me already a little bit about him. Uh, maybe back in you know, one of our first episodes after we finished the original House and Powers of X run. Um, but I don't know, he's a time traveler? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he used to look the- old. Yes, he used yes. to he used to be considerably older, and this this cable replaced the old one uh, very recently. Uh, yeah, so you do know he's a time traveler, and his is especially convoluted and weird, uh, as it is explained here by Armor, because Ar- Armor was originally recruited by older Cable as a part of X Force. So now that Cable is younger, did he always plan on doing that because of what happened later, or is this kind of a weird thing? It, it's very unclear. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, guns, time travel, and he's a summer. That's what I know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that, that's about the only description of him you really need. But while they're down here trying not to make out, uh, Cable spots uh, some kind of um, metal object mm-hmm. sticking out of uh, one of the beast's palms. Mm-hmm. It seems like Fauna was right that the beast is in pain. Uh, so Cable does have another one of his excellent plans. Uh, shooting it. Uh-huh. Yeah, with a uh, stronger gun, it looks like, and they managed to knock it out. Um, Armor gets the foot up, and Cable pulls out a sword. A really big sword. Kind yeah. Like a buster sword. Ass sword. Yeah, but, like, skinnier? The, this is, like, 
Final Fantasy vibes. Like this, this looks like something like Zabuza from Naruto would be carrying around. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, um, immediately gets electrocuted by him after saying how cool he thinks it is. And I think like at this point, I kind of want to talk about it because I feel like this is the first time we've kind of got this kind of characterization for Cable. Uh, it feels like almost no one really knew what to do with Young Cable before this, and I feel. He's kind of a dork here, on top of being, like, this cool dude. And I kind of like that mix. I do, too, uh, because older Cable was always kind of the grizzled badass who knew what he was doing, always prepared for a situation, you know, didn't make jokes, that kind of a thing. And the younger version of him, that's kind of a hard shoe to fill, uh, but I think making him just this dorky kid is really fun. Yeah, I, I think previous appearances by him leaned a little bit more on, like, the edgy teen side, which, like, it, it works when it's an old guy, even if, like, but when it's a kid, it just feels kind of cheesy, Uh, so I think giving him, like, the edge, but also, like, oh, yeah, but he's just kind of a nerd, like, it, it, it just works better. Mm-hmm. He will still, you know, fawn over the cool sword, and if he saw a a picture of cloud from final fantasy 7 that would be the coolest person he's ever seen yeah uh i mean cloud's the coolest person i've ever seen he is <laughs> I, I i would say that is debatable but okay uh, young cable would at least agree with you yeah I mean- so uh but cable gets knocked out by what he calls a psychic flash and we get to see the original wielder of the sword, which we find to be called the Light of Galador. Uh, it looks like a space knight named Morn uh, wielded the sword before Cable did and chased a bunch of monsters to Primordial Earth, where it slayed most of them before being crushed and killed by this giant beast monster. Uh, that How the two of them just knocked out. old is this thing? <laughs> uh, very old. <laughs> This poor dude had this sword in his hand for, like, centuries. Centuries? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, no wonder it was upset. Yeah. That's gotta centuries. be millennia. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, I, like it should be millennia if it was primordial Earth. This poor thing? That would suck. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And no one, no one helped the poor guy. Yeah. Uh, the Space Knights are uh, another Marvel comic thing that... Uh, Yes, I believe they still don't have the rights to technically. They, <laughs> they might have them back now, but they still use them for stuff like this. Uh, there's a, I, I, I honestly don't know much about the Space Knights. There is a certain group of people that nerd out anytime the Space Knights show up in anything, and I'm happy for them. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't got much here. Uh, yes, I, I have a bit of them. Uh, but Sergio, I do have to ask because you never know. Do you know anything about the Space Knights? No, I know absolutely nothing about the Space Knights. I think I feel like I know most of what there is to know about the Space Knights from the name, I mean. Yeah, they're Space Knights. Yes. Yes, uh, really, you kind of get it mostly from the name. Um, but just a brief history of them. Uh, they first came to be in 1979 with ROM number one, uh, and it was called ROM the Space Knight. Uh, who was this massive silver robot-looking fella with a weird gun. Uh, and this comic ran actually for a good while. Yeah, it's uh, a long comic. <laughs> yeah, 
and recently actually just got a big reprint, uh, which was a really, really big deal for a lot of uh, Marvel comic fans. Uh, it mm-hmm. looks like Marvel reacquired the license to ROM the Space Knight in May of 2023, so just this year. All right. We're back. <laughs> yeah, but t- time for more Space Knights. Yeah. You know, uh, when, so- when you've got a solid premise, you've got a solid premise. Yeah, and you know what's yeah. a solid premise? Space Knights, man. Yeah, Space Knights, because yeah. their premise is pretty much as solid as you can get. It's a they good used name. to be humans. They used to be humans from a planet called Galador, and then they ran into some space aliens called the Dire Wraiths. So to create super soldiers, they asked for volunteers to become cyborgs, and these cyborgs became the Space Knights. They feel very Guardians of the Galaxy adjacent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I should post a picture of Rom the Space Knight for you, uh, Sergio. Because he looks like a '60s robot toy. Oh, cool! Yeah, he is a he is a very very cool dude. Uh, actually, the group that had the rights to him for the longest time was Hasbro. So that makes sense. Oh yeah, yep. yep there he is. Yep, that's a he cool look, robot looks, man, right? Looks like a transformer. He does look like a transformer. <laughs> His chest yeah. does look like a truck grill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, he's, probably, he's gonna, gonna he was probably riding riding that wave of a big robot hype around that time. You know, Transformers was a thing. Uh, there were a couple other robot franchises that like started around that time that I don't think exist anymore. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, Rom he was he was a big deal for a long time. When did Mobile Suit Gundam come out? Same year. Yeah. Oh, there we yeah. go. Yeah, seventy nine. All right. Yeah, I thought it was the 70s, but I couldn't remember. Anyway, back to Cable. Yeah, back to Cable. Uh, he reawakens uh, on this really nice-looking plant bed uh, and basically explains that, hey, I saw the first owner of this sword. It's called the Light of Galador. And maybe, because the old man's things were guns, maybe my thing is big swords. I, I, I want to note that not only does he, he mention that he saw this, but also how cool he thinks it is, which just, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's a dork. He's a big dork, and I love him. Yeah, uh, he's gleeful while holding up this sword in the air with this big old page of him just, like, holding it in the air. Uh, I love armor and Pixie just around him looking a little skeptical of the whole thing. Yeah, especially Pixie, who's just like, eh, maybe, I can, I can think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a downgrade, personally. Compared yeah, to the pro- seemingly infinite supply of guns and weaponry that he seems to have otherwise. I don't I don't know if he would have beaten Wolverine at the beginning of this issue with a sword. Even are if you, he are you... even if he did only use that uh, gun to sheath the claws in Wolverine's hands. So are you more of a, a gun guy over a sword guy? No, but I'm saying Cable seems to have the expertise for guns. I don't know why would he why he would respect into swords like this <laughs> yeah it's 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 like a it's like a like a axe fighter trying to learn magic like you, you don't gotta be doing all hey you know what i respect young cable trying to go for swords i always go for swords over guns they're much cooler so you know what he gets bonus points for that he understands the cool factor that he's well, trying to present here i i feel like there's a difference between like you know at the, at the start like picking a gun or a sword over a gun and then like you know getting like max like 
specked out with guns and then deciding to switch to swords. Like, it, it just feels like a waste. He does really love guns. And grenades. I don't know how well grenades. those go. Grenades. You know, he could respec out of grenades and maybe add, like, a side, you know, sword. Yeah, yeah but maybe. I, I don't know. He just seems to want to be a sword guy. Uh, Cyclops emerges from the shadows, visor first, in a really cool shot. Yes, and immediately <laughs> goes into dad mode, which is really fun. Yeah, uh, no monster island. Mm-hmm. And immediately gets thrown under the bus of, this was all Cable's idea. Yeah, uh, they both leave. Uh, Cable instantly nerds out about the sword. Mm-hmm. Like, how he got it, how yeah. it's clearly from a robot knight, and how cool it is. Yeah, uh, Cyclops uh, says, like, yeah, this, this probably is an alien sword, all right. And uh, then we go to some weird little space station thing. Mm-hmm. We, we get the fun zoom out of, yeah, this is clearly not from Earth. I wonder where it came from. And then we get a shot of the Batch Gigian Museum to Lost Civilizations. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it is a space museum. Uh, showing off a whole bunch of different weird alien stuff here. Uh, but specifically, they have three suits of armor uh, from the planet of Galador that looks like it was destroyed during the fight with the Builders. Yeah, and uh, I guess hearing the uh, sword get activated, all of these uh, Space Knights wake up at the same time and start moving toward the sword. Mm -hmm. I, I do like the little detail here that the museum security thinks that someone is trying to steal the armor remotely, uh, when it is just the robots themselves walking out. Yeah. Uh, but they make quick work of all of the insects here, as they call it, and they immediately head out into space to go find the light of Galador so they can finish what their mission is. Uh-huh. Yeah, that seems bad. It does seem bad, especially since they're, they're talking down to, you know, the folks around them and are just gleefully causing property destruction. Yeah. It's a good bit, I think. It is. I, I like it as an introduction to what I'm assuming to be the villains here of just, yeah, they were asleep for a while. The sword's awake. They want the sword. I'm like, okay, I'm good. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, in another time and another place, a crab with flaming eyes uh, is telling somebody that this is an affront to sovereign lands and begins to conjure what looks to be a fireball before its claws are just blasted off of its hands. Yeah, uh, turns into a smudge on the ground pretty soon as we see the shooter of the crab is uh, Old Cable. Uh-huh. And we get a little uh, data page that seems to be from him about the hunt. Yes, uh, this last data page uh, is in first person from Old Cable. It looks like uh, there was a legion of demons on Earth that he has decided to root out and destroy. Uh, they left Earth taking hostages, uh, but he has been hunting them down one by one to finish all of this uh, so they don't recreate a spell that nearly burnt the Earth into an inferno of hellfire. Yeah, he seems like he's up to some stuff. Se seems pretty busy. Yes, uh, I do like that one of the demons was just a crab, uh, a crab, goodness, a crab with flaming eyes. I don't know why, but that's just very funny to me. Uh, but yeah, just mostly a teaser of like, hey, old Cable is also still around, despite young Cable still being here. I mean, sometime he was around, or will be around. We don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's true. It is another time. It is another In another time. place. 
So, but it does seem to be that this story will at least partially cover older Cable. Yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the end of our uh, set of three issues here. Um, what do we think of the introduction of Cable? Um, I I feel like Cable really needs to play Final Fantasy VIII so he can get acquainted with the Gunblades. <laughs> I feel like he would appreciate Ooh. that design. Yeah, yeah, that would be something Ooh, he would I really think like. You're right. That's that's what the man needs. He needs he needs a gunblade. He does need a gunblade. My other idea was the weird lightsaber that Ezra makes in Rebels. Oh, Rebels? Yeah, Star that's Wars a good one. Rebels, which is also kind of a gun and a blade at the same time, but honestly, yeah. the gunblade, your know, classic design, uh very good looking. I feel like that's the one uh I will let uh, Cable know about. Yeah, that's that's you know, someone. I, I agree with that. Someone give him a PlayStation One. Yeah, someone please give him a PlayStation One, and then also introduce him to Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, not the movie, but uh, FMVs that people make online. Because I have a feeling he would love that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you need to watch um, the Final Fantasy VII uh, AMV featuring Lincoln Park. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling he would devour those and love them forever. Like focusing yeah. a little bit too much on Vincent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh man, Cloud's really cool with the sword, but Vincent though, dark and mysterious." He uh oh, what what is that Final Fantasy 7 spin-off uh the Vincent one? What is that called again? Oh, 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 I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, where you play as him. It was on like the PS2. Yeah, there some... of servers. Yeah, yeah, yes. there we go. Yeah. That's that's the cable game right there. Just just introduce him to Final Fantasy and only through Dirge of Cerberus and be like, yeah, this is what all the games are like. Yeah. <laughs> that's so mean. <laughs> don't, don't let anyone play Dirge of Cerberus. That's not that's not the game you want to recommend. It's, no, I, no, I'll be honest, I have never played it. I have not seen anything of it. I should play it at some point, because I, I have played most Final Fantasies, but I just think Cable, Young Cable specifically, just gives me that vibe of, like, early 2000s-era teenager who would just really love it. Yeah, yeah, I bet. That, those are a good time. Other yeah. quick observation I had, just to go away, move away from the Final Fantasy discussion... Is old cable seems to be hanging out with like one of those Boston Dynamics dogs, like dog robots. Yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that is kind does. of the vibe there. Yeah, that also has pouches, uh, you know, to go along with cable's pouches. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I I like how cable is written here. I feel like he is just, I I, I said I feel like he hadn't really been characterized like this before, but I think he kind of has in um. X-Men number two, the one where he did show up, does feel like it kind of has a similar vibe here, and that's kind of what they based it off of. Um, and I think that was the right call. I I like him just having kind of this dorkness to him. Um, it, it is a... It's a much more endearing character trait than just cool kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And coming into this, I was pretty all right with this, you know, I was like, eh, it's not bad, it's not great, I'm whatever about it, but characterizing Cable this way and pointing it out, I think has endeared me more to him, uh, as has all of the jokes about him liking Final Fantasy, uh, has now endeared me more to towards him, because that's all I can see him doing now. 
Um, but it's a fine introduction. Uh, I definitely want to see more because we don't have a lot of a interesting plotline being set here. Uh, we have, you know, the sword and the other space knights that are going to come and take it. Uh, but that's about it so far, and then whatever Old Man Cable is doing. You know, nothing too, I would say, interesting, at least for for me. Yeah, this feels like the setup to a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah. Like, this could be the opening, like, the few opening scenes. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And then they're going to go on a wacky adventure and yeah, just a we'll, whole we'll bunch of other nonsense starts yeah. happening. Yeah, no, I can see that. And I'm I'm looking forward to, you know, going in with the rest of it. I don't remember much of this run, uh, so I'm excited to dive back into it and see where it goes again. Yeah, I don't think the competition was particularly good, but uh, this one far and away the best issue in this batch. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, don't, I don't know about... I think New Mutant should probably stay away from uh, South America. Um, and, yes. uh, yeah, not, not my favorite issue of Marauders, but I did like it this week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the sequence breaking that Marauders does with kind of jumping from all of the different perspectives, I think, is a lot of fun. Uh, and then having that moment finally with Hominus Verendi where they're kind of like, hey, knock it off. Uh, but I would say it's probably a tie between Cable and Marauders for me, uh, both by Gary Duggan. So, hey, he won this week. Either way, he wins. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing that uh, this last panel with old Cable remind me of is uh, Kasharn. Have you ever heard of any of that? No. Oh, no, I have not. It's a, it's a 1973 anime that's you know, kind of spinned off into its own franchise, which is about this... I, I, is it like a cyborg guy with his pet robot dog that go around hunting like robots in a desolated earth? And the, the look here is very similar in terms of like coloring. Like if you look up screenshots of the original anime, it does, it does seem a little uh, reminiscent of this panel or, you know, the other way around. Um, oh, I, that's kind, of, that's kind of what I'm reminded of. I, I have actually uh, watched Casher and Sins. I haven't seen the yeah, original a, 70s one, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's a... Uh, is it a 2004, 2005 remake of, of the original I, I, anime? Is I, I want to say it's like 2012 almost. Oh, I, it's 2008. I'm, I'm looking it up. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. 2008, uh, animated by Madhouse. It looks pretty good. I, I remember enjoying that one. It... It's a little hollow in terms of, like, substance, but it's got plenty of style to make up for it. Yeah, it looks real nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I get a... Yeah, I, I know what you mean by the vibe of it. It is kind of like that, you know, wasteland-type stuff going on. Yeah, you've got the post-apocalyptic Earth setting, a guy just running around killing big, bad robots. Yeah, just stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I believe that's what we got for this week. Uh, yeah, that'll be it for us. Uh, no more issues for now until next time. Uh, and looks like next time for our next episode, we're going to be talking about X-Men's number eight and nine and X-Force number nine. Yep. Jumping back into the, uh, the Percy verse as well as finally seeing what Hickman's been up to. Mm hmm. I'm, I'm excited to enter the Hickman zone again before going to the Percy verse, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that. 
But yeah, um, so that's all we got for this week. Uh, please, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast if you have a chance. Those those help. Those are nice. Helps helps get our podcast to other people. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or Pocket Casts, or Podcast Addict, uh, or Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. You know, uh, a review would really help us out. So that would be great. Uh, if you do have any questions or comments. Uh, or anything like that, uh, you can send them to us at studyofx at gmail.com, and we may read it here on the show. And if you are looking to follow this podcast on any social media, uh, we do have accounts on X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, and on Tumblr at studyofx. And if you were looking to find me, uh, you can find me at Sonics which is S-A-W-N-E-E-K-S, uh, on Blue Sky, and also on Twitter, uh, although I'm not very active on Twitter anymore. Uh, and if you are looking for Sergio uh, for any good anime recommendations, uh, where can they find you? Uh, you know, I've kind of stopped posting on Twitter entirely, so you can find me at Blue Sky at uh, Fireblend, F-I-R-E-B-L-E-N-D. Uh, and if you are looking to submit your results in the School Milk versus School Orange Juice competition, uh, Tim, where can they find you to tell you why School Milk is better? Um, I'm currently in transit. Uh, I have uh, been alerted to um, a sword uh, being drawn for the first time in a while, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on with that. Um, so, um, I don't know. Talk to someone else about it. I don't really care. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I take it to mean that means school milk wins. Uh, no. So congratulations for the school milk crowd. Uh, I'm we sorry. Did it. The the school orange juice uh, commission will be submitting a an appeal to these results. Uh, you know what? That's fine. They can submit the appeal. Uh, I'm sure once they get it, they will promptly throw it away as they should. Uh, and we can go back to continuing to celebrate National School Milk Day. You will be hearing from our layers. <laughs> I look forward to it because I am much stronger because I have a school milk on my side. Yeah, let's see how that goes with that vitamin C deficiency. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta throw back vitamin D. You're, you're dropping the ball here, Chris. I know, I know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm still marveling over the fact that uh, school milk day exists. Which is where this entire joke came from, because we all learned that uh, that day actually exists. Uh, so you you can blame whoever created that day for all of these jokes. We've you made. you did. We said that at the top of the podcast. I. <laughs> what? I. You know what? I'm I'm getting a phone call. Um. You know what? Later, mutants. We'll talk to you all next time. This is why I don't we don't do banter as much as other podcasts. We try. All right. Bye. Bye.